Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. There you go. <laughs> Good evening. I hope you're well. Some of you, I probably haven't met me before. This is not normally how I sound, but I think it will get better. Otherwise, I will probably need another mic. Uh, it's not just the sound system, it's also my accent. I am from Denmark, I'm sorry about that. But this was actually the original accent of uh, United Kingdom. A thousand years ago, the Danes ruled here for 200 years. Did you know that? <laughs> so this is the original stuff. <laughs> um, I've been looking forward to, uh, to be together with you tonight and to share uh, tonight's sermon, which is part of our whole series about the faith of Abraham. And tonight the headline is having faith in the impossible. Um, and... I just thought about it this morning, actually, about when was my first kind of encounter with the impossible and somehow the sense of God interfering with that. And um, I, will, I had to go all the way back to when I was 11 years old. Um, uh, in, and I was in Copenhagen. Uh, and in my family, we had kind of two highlights during the year. One was, of course, Christmas. And the other was uh, 
at summertime where we would go to the Tivoli amusement park in the center of Copenhagen, which is just a really great, great adventurous place. And I loved to go there. That was really the highlight of the year. That year, the problem was that I was really ill. I had the flu and I had strong pains in my ears. So I was totally unable to do anything. And I was lying in my bed. I felt really sorry for myself. And I had this sense that you can only have as an 11-year-old that life was over. Uh, it was completely wasted. And, and I really felt bad. Uh, and then I remember my dad coming back from work and my mom explaining this whole situation to him and he came straight to the room and then he asked me, well, how do you feel, Lars? And I complained about uh, the end of the world and he said, well, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. Then he put his hand on my ear and he prayed a very simple prayer. God, I ask you to remove the pains right now. And he was like this and pains were completely gone and I felt energized and I had a wonderful time in Tivoli. So, of course, at that time, it was just, oh, what a super dad. Uh, cool powers. Uh, but later on, it, it actually became important to me. That I think it was my first encounter with God kind of intervening in my life, in my situation, doing something great. Um, now, the sub-headline that I am, have chosen for the sermon is the three motions of faith, which actually about, is about how we respond to the dream of the impossible and how we respond to God as the one who is able to do the impossible. Uh, and the first motion that I will be focusing on is one that I learned the hard way some years ago. I was on my first skiing trip to Norway and uh, I still remember when we arrived uh, with the car there and I saw these really uh, steep mountain sides and I saw people are, uh, up there on their skis, I, I said to myself, I'm never going to get up there. That's totally impossible. But sure enough, two days later, I was one of those on the top of that mountain looking down towards the valley and I felt like this is the end of my life. Um, but there was no way around it. I was together with other people and I know that they would kind of, I would be totally humiliated if I didn't do it. So I did it. And I have never prayed so much in my life as I did on my way down. It was like, God save me, God save me, God save me. And as you could see, he answered my prayer. I'm still alive, I'm still here. Um, and, and of course, I was a very quick learner. So after two days, it looked something like what you see up there. It's quite good after two days, isn't it? Some of you don't really believe it. <laughs> don't think it looks like me? Well, this was how it was. This was me, at least how I perceived myself. I, at one point, I thought I was doing very well. Uh, sadly, I had some very insensitive family members, and they took pictures of me. And I, when I saw those, it didn't look like that. Uh, actually completely the opposite. I looked like someone who was really scared and trying to do everything to kind of uh, not having to go down to that valley. Uh, at the same time, my, my outfit, it wasn't really very modern, uh, so that didn't look very nice too. And it's hard to describe my style, but I was like totally out of balance and looked like someone who was crying for his life and at the same time trying to get to the loo as quickly as possible. <laughs> that was kind of what it looked like. So, it wasn't a nice picture. 
Then finally, there was this sweet Norwegian lady who kind of had mercy on me. So she said to me, I have an advice for you. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid of the valley. Actually, you should embrace the valley. You need to lean forward. And when you lean forward, you will find out that you have much more control when you are on your way down. And I really had nothing to lose, so I just tried it out. And surely enough, she was right. And I reflected on that later on, and I found out this is actually a principle of life. In many situations, what I need to do is actually to lean forward instead of trying to avoid a lot of stuff going on in my life. And when we read this story about Abraham, we find a man who was leaning forward in his way of reacting to the dream of the impossible. He had this impossible dream. He was 99 years old, and his wife Sarah was past the childbearing age. But he still had this dream. And, and I mean, it may seem really far away for, from us, a story like that, but if we start asking questions, we might find that this is actually more close to us than we would expect. What kind of dream was this? Well, it was a dream which was very natural for the time and the culture that he was part of. This was a way of kind of uh, seeing honor and blessing in your life that you had heirs of your own. But more than that, it was a dream of love. He dreamed of having his own family where he could share his love and receive love. And even more than that, it was also a dream of meaning. And we find that at, uh, at an earlier stage where Abraham has this conversation with God where he's actually saying, God, it, I'm, I'm thankful for all of these blessings and everything that you have done in my life, but it doesn't really make sense to me. There's no meaning to all of this if you don't give me someone that I can pass it on to. It was a longing to be part of something greater, a bigger picture, a greater narrative, to have a strong perspective of life. I need this meaning. That's kind of what he's saying to God. So it's a dream, a desire for meaning. And finally, we see that uh, even though it was coming from culture, even though it was part of his dream for desire, his dream for meaning in his own life, this was also a dream that was corresponding with God's dream for his life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have hesitated asking God to kind of reveal his meaning for me or his will for me or his dream for me because I've had this fear. What if it's something completely different from what I want? Have you ever had that thought? And you've kind of avoided that question, God, what do you want for me? Because we're not really sure what he wants for us. What we will find out is that what essentially is our dream, and I think most of us will identify actually with Abraham's dream that we are part of the culture that we live in, but also that we have the dream for love, to receive it and to give it away, and we have the desire for meaning in life. And when we start to express that in the presence of God, we will find out that this is totally corresponding with his meaning for us. That actually the dreams that we carry within us is part of his uh, formation of us, his creation of us. We come from him, and hence the dreams that we have, they also come from him. We are not really that different from Abraham, are we? It seems to be more or less like human condition to bear something like that with us. And this is quite important stuff. There's a guy called Thomas Merton. He, was, he started off as a journalist, actually traveling the whole world and became quite well known. 
And then he ended up being a Carmelite monk and a very strong spiritual uh, counselor. And he put it like this, he said, your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. So this is really important stuff. This dream stuff of us. Now in this story about Abraham and Sarah, we need to ask ourselves a question, what is really going on in this story? And looking at the surface, it, it's kind of, here we have the good guy, Abraham, who's doing all the right things, and then we have Sarah, the bad girl, who's doing all the wrong things, and that's kind of the story, isn't it? But if we look closer, we might find a more nuanced picture, actually. Um, Abraham seems to do all the right things. Definitely, this was not a convenient thing for, for Abraham when these three men, when God was appearing to him in the form of these three men. It wasn't very convenient. Some Jewish scholars, they actually believe that Abraham was on his third day after the circumcision, which we read about in chapter 17. And circumcision in itself is probably not very nice. I haven't tried it. But just imagining it, I feel pain. Uh, please don't imagine it right now. I can see some of you do. <laughs> um, but what they say is actually on the third day, you have the worst pain of them all. That's where the fever is the worst and you are really in much pain. So just thinking about doing what Abraham did in such a great pain at the age of 99. Even if they are not right, he was very old and it was the most warm time of day and he needed his nap. The older I get, the more I understand and sympathize with Abraham. You know, at the middle of the day, I sometimes just think, oh, it would be so nice with a nap. <laughs> so it wasn't very convenient for him, but how did he respond? First of all, it seems like he's just stopped time when he saw these three men. Everything else had to stop. He gave precedence to what God was doing in the very moment. Next, we see that he bowed low to the ground. He didn't just bow politely as custom would require of him, but he bowed low to the ground, literally lying himself on the ground, face down. And if he had been circumcised, just think about how painful that would be. What was he doing? He was actually surrendering to God. He was recognizing God as God. Recognizing his sovereignty, his authority, and his rightful ownership of his life. And then it goes on. He engaged himself. He didn't leave it to the servants to take care of these three men, but he engaged himself fully in the serving of these three men. And then he served meat to them, and custom didn't require that. That was actually extraordinary. And not only that, he gave the best meat he had in the house. And then finally, he did all of this with urgency. He hurried, he ran, quick, he said to Sarah. What is that about? Well, it seems to be a recurrent theme in the Bible that we have some moments which are extremely important moments. When God, for some reason, turns up, when he speaks to us, when he gives, gives us thoughts, when he encourages us to take certain decisions, those are actually described as special moments, as golden moments, moments of opportunity, moments of grace. And the biblical narrative speaks very clearly to us. When that happens, we need to catch it immediately and act 
on it. I think there will probably be some of you like me who have tried this, that you are in some kind of very inspiring atmosphere and you make a strong decision to do something very good and then you postpone it. And then maybe you think about it one week later or a month later and you find out that, well, it's still a good decision, but the motivation, the energy to do it, it's simply not there anymore. Have you tried that? A few of us have. There's a secret about when God appears in different ways in our lives to seize the moment and to act on it quickly. So if we kind of put all of this together, what we see is that Abraham is really leaning forwards. He's embracing the impossible. God showing himself as the one who has given him this dream in the form of these three men. So that's the first motion of faith. Well, then we have the second motion of faith, which is actually to go through the motions or periods, process of doubt. This is Sarah, the bad girl in the story. And most commentators, they actually agree that she really is the bad girl. Shame on her, laughing at God coming to Abraham and telling him, giving him the promise of a son. They do have one problem, though, these, these commentators. Actually, they have two problems. The first problem is that when we read chapter 17 and Abraham meets God and God says to him, you will have your own son, Abraham is laughing. And I was laughing when I was reading the commentators' attempts to kind of get around that because they, they put it like this. Well, Abraham was laughing out of joy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> they simply needed to kind of keep him, on, keep him on the pedestal and he's still the father, the hero of faith. Whereas Sarah, oh, bad girl, <laughs> she is laughing out of disbelief. Uh, it's quite funny. They have another problem actually and that's when we read in Hebrews 11 where we find the appraisal of Sarah. And it goes like this. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Isn't that extraordinary? The bad girl in this story, she gets this kind of appraisal. What does this tell us? Well, it actually tells us that going through a process of periods of doubts is part of the motions of faith. We see in the story of Abraham and Sarah that she had settled for her own solution to this impossible dream, which resulted in Ishmael, who was the son of her own slave. And God is now trying to pull her back to the original dream. And when she laughs, God is actually saying, is anything too hard? for God. And if we go into the original text, you could actually translate it, is anything too wonderful for God? And I'm actually wondering, is this something of what is going on in Sarah's life? Maybe she hadn't given up on God, maybe she had actually given up on herself. Maybe she had started to think, this is too wonderful for me. This is too big for me. I won't get that, that impossible dream. It will never happen. I will have to settle for something less. 
then it seems like God exposes her in this story, isn't it? We all laughed when we kind of just heard this, yes, you did laugh. So why does God do that? Why does he call her out? Why does he have a need to do so Was it for his own sake? Well, probably not. Why then? Well, probably because Sarah needed it. Even though this was part of custom at that time, I think we are able to kind of interpret what is going on here. Sarah is hiding in the tent, away from the presence of God, and God is actually calling her in with her doubts, with her fears, with her anxieties. It's a call to put it on the table between her and God. That is why he is calling her out. And probably for that to be allowed to be happening, that is why she comes to this new place of faith that we read about in the Hebrews, which is the third position or the third motion of faith, leaning back and put it maybe in a very naive way, leaning back into the arms of the Heavenly Father. She found peace and rest in the faithfulness and the promises of God. She simply chose to trust Him before she had seen any change in her circumstances. And Hebrews says that it was that trust that actually enabled her to be childbearing. Isn't that great? Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I identify with all these three emotions of faith. And sometimes, to my own surprise, I, found, I find that they can go on at the same time in my life. I don't know if you have ever tried that. So in one area of my life, I might be really kind of going for it, leaning forwards, uh, catching the dream, going for the impossible, believing God for it, along with other people. And then there might be another area where I'm going through doubts and fears and anxieties and really discouraged. I have things in my life that I've been praying for for 15 years. And I haven't really seen God intervening, answering those prayers yet. And when it comes to those things, I am like Sarah, sometimes hiding, sometimes tempted to turn my face away from God. When it comes to those things, I am going through motions of doubt. And at the same time, there can be other areas of life where I'm actually leaning back, just believing, just trusting God to take care of things, not bothering with it myself. All of this can go on at the same time in my life. I hope you will allow me to share just one story uh, from my life. Uh, and then I will conclude by uh, coming back to the here and now where we find ourselves in our personal lives and us as a church community. Now, I want to show you a picture of a dream I once had. That's the picture. Doesn't that look very nice? This is a 300-year-old manor situated 50 kilometers south of Copenhagen. And we can't see it on the picture, but very close to it, 500 meters how many yards is that? I don't know. Well, close to this place, uh, there's actually a beach and a very nice seaside. This is really a beautiful place. And, and we lived in a semi-attached house, uh, me, uh, my wife, and our two uh, small children, uh, three miles from this place. And one day I took our two children for a picnic to, to this place. And I just felt at home. I just felt, oh, this is really great. 
And then I had this inner conversation going on. So I said to myself, oh, wouldn't it be nice to live in a place like this? And then I actually felt like someone was interrupting me saying, don't you think that I could give you a place like this? And I was being very British at that time in my life, so I was being very polite. So I said, oh God, of course you could. Not meaning it at all. Uh, so I just kind of put it aside, forgot all about it. And then I, oh sorry about insulting the British, but uh, I'm a Dane, we do that all the time. Well, uh, a year later, a, two persons came to our door, a couple from the church that we have just planted in this place. And they knocked on our door and they uh, showed us this ad from the local newspaper and said, that place has come for rent. Uh, why don't we rent it? They knew that I had this dream of starting a Christian school in this area, so they thought this would be a magnificent place to start a school like that. And on the inside, I laughed at them. But there were only very few of us in this church plant, so I wanted to have as many people as possible, so I was being very polite. So I said, oh, that's very interesting. Why don't we go out and look at the place? So uh, we went out there, and as soon as I put my feet on the ground, I just realized this is God. There was just one tiny little detail with all of this, which was this was totally impossible. There were only like 25 of us. We were quite young and we were very poor, all of us. Most of us were kind of very new to the Christian faith. So we really had no clue of what we were doing or what was going on. We only had five children in, in kind of the school age, and we had no teachers, so it was like, yeah, and then we had to have permission from seven different uh, departments of Danish bureaucracy within a period of three months, which is beyond impossible. I mean, you are, we don't have a word for how impossible that is. So, and when we start telling people about this dream of ours, they laughed at us. They told us afterwards, not while it was going on. To make a long story short, um, a lot of miracles actually were, were happening within a very short period of time. And suddenly it seemed like we were able to do all of this. So some of us gave up our apartments. Uh, some of us gave up our jobs to become uh, employed at the school. And then suddenly... Uh, they asked of us to lay down a sum of money as a kind of security for renting this place. And that was an impossible sum of money. And they gave us five days to do it. So suddenly, it felt like the whole world was collapsing around me. And I still remember pacing around in my, in my room, and I was angry at everybody, disappointed at God, and I was... I think there were some tears as well. It was like, oh, this is really terrible. I was so disappointed. And I really didn't know how to handle this situation. Then I had this sense again of thoughts coming to me that I kind of identified as probably God trying to tell me something. And the first thought was you need to send out an email to the people in this little church of yours just telling them what's going on. And then he said, you need to give an amount of money for this to actually be happening. And for us, the amount that I kind of sensed, it was a totally impossible amount. So I was really challenged. Uh, Meta and I, we decided, well, we would do it. 
And at the same time, I felt quite secure because I thought, well, no one else will. So it's not going to happen anyways. So we won't have to pay those money. So it was quite, well, it's confession time, isn't it? Um, and nothing much happened, actually, until the Sunday, three days after this, I came to church. And uh, I think the first one who met me was uh, Simon, who was a boy, uh, six year old. He was the son of a single mom who was unemployed and they had really tough conditions in life. But somehow from his mom, he has picked up what was going on. So he came to me with a transparent plastic bag filled with coins. This was all of his savings. And he, says, he said to me, that is for that place. And then he gave it to me. And at that moment, I knew this is going to happen. And at the same time, I knew we are going to pay those money. <laughs> um, and sure enough, within 24 hours, people start phoning us saying, we are going to give this amount, this amount, this amount. At the end, I think all of the people in this little church plant had participated. And we ended up having 30% more than we needed for actually laying down that sum of money. Um, that little boy, Simon, became one of the first pupils attending the school. His mom became a support teacher, and actually to this, to this day, she still is. And uh, if we see the next slide, this is how it looks today. We started with 21 pupils uh, the first school year. Now they are more than 200, uh, and the school is the most popular school in the local area. They are totally maxed out. The waiting list is really long. Uh, the children come from family that would, uh, that would identify themselves as atheistic families, most of them, probably more than 90% of them. Uh, but they're sending their kids to this school anyways because they simply recognize the quality of the school is so high. Uh, so every day there is a devotion in the morning. Every week there is a creative service for these children. And three times a year there is something where all the families, they come and they are part of this place and they hear what's going on. And the influence with Christian value, Christian faith is so strong from this school. And it just go on year after year. It's quite a good story, isn't it? It's amazing. But maybe you heard all the emotions of faith that I was going through and along me and lots of the other people who were part of this. First of all, we were kind of leaning forward, embracing that dream. Then we were going through these motions of doubt and fear and anxiety. And then at the moment that little boy came and showed me this plastic bag of money, I leaned back, simply trusting God. He would take care of all of this. Now what about you, me, us as a church community, us in the here and now. What about the dream that we need for our lives to make sense, to be meaningful, to be filled with love? What does this story of Abraham inspire us to do? I think that basically it inspires us to remain in the good fight of faith. This is one of the biblical expressions. No matter if we feel like Abraham renewed, motivated, and ready, or if we feel like Sarah, laughing the laughter of disbelief and maybe even cynicism. Still, the calling, the invitation for us is to remain in the good fight of faith. And what does that look like? And there are three short points here. Number one, it is to surround yourself with people of faith. Especially when you feel like lacking it yourself. Now, when we came to this church, my wife and I, September last year, 
we heard about these plans of going to four services in four different locations. And my initial reaction was that this is really crazy. I have some experience with church planting, and I thought, sorry Andy, I thought, this is really a bad idea. Um, then I met with David, and we had a conversation, and he, talk, he told me about how these dreams had been formed in him and the rest of the leadership, and how they had experienced people coming to them, knowing nothing about what was going on in their hearts, and totally affirming these dreams. And when I heard that story, I literally said to David, well, then you would be crazy not to do it. I simply recognized this is God's doing. This is God's dealing with people. And I recognized the faith in the congregation. And even though Meta and I, and we actually said that to one another, it's not like we really have faith for this, but we have faith for the faith in these people that we see in them. So because of that, we chose to be part of it and was part of this whole collection that was going on in autumn last year. So now I find myself as one of the leaders uh, in this church, which came as a surprise to me and probably to many others as well. We were only meant to be here for a year and then back to Denmark again, but it seems like God had other plans with us. And I find it exciting to be part of this church in this time and that the dream now has become my dream as well. And just think about it. Not settling with going to the four services. I mean, you guys really enjoy it, don't you? To be part of the e-service. I kind of sense that when I come out here. You have such great community. I always enjoy coming out here and kind of just sense what is going on here. It's really wonderful. It's great. It wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been this dream of going to these four services, four locations. It's fantastic that now we are not settling, but we are just moving forward, leaning forward as a church community, reaching for the eight services, six locations. Uh, and I know that we have been talking a lot about the what's next, about um, the pledge, pledging and the need for raising 250,000 uh, as a yearly uh, standing order and so on and so forth. And that is important, and for me that's important too, to see that happening. But what has been even more important for me is kind of people involving themselves in this. That has been what has been fascinating me the most. Actually, I think I would have been kind of sad if a billionaire or a millionaire, you have lots of those in London obviously, had come to us and said, we'll just put the money on the table. It wouldn't have worked for me. Do you remember one of those charts where it says, there was kind of money, sums of money down here and number of people up here. Very confusing chart that we were using. Quite a number of people came to me and said, I have no idea what that is about. And I am partly responsible for that one, so sorry about that. Uh, so, but, but what I was really excited about was this actually 150 people and 10 pounds. And, and, and of course, it wasn't the 10 pounds that excited me. It was the number 150 people. Wow. Surrounding yourself with people of faith. And it's great to be part of such a community of people. I really love that. So there are periods in my life where I'm down on faith and then I simply know that I need to lean on the faith of other people. That's part of being part of a community like that. So we don't always need to have faith of our own. Sometimes we are leaning on the faith of others and that is really great, isn't it? 
Sometimes we get this individualistic thinking into our minds, the individualistic thinking of the society, and we believe that we need to have all the faith for everything. Of course we don't. Relax. Chill out. Is that an expression? Oh, great. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> you don't have to have all the faith, but you, as me, we need to be part of a community of people. And sometimes we are leaning on the faith of other people. So that's number one. Number two, it's to keep on having faith for faith in the impossible. And I know that sounds weird. But I find that there are times in my life where I don't have faith for the impossible. When it comes to this area that I have been praying for for 15 years, which is so close to my heart, which is part of my whole way of perceiving myself, sometimes it's hard for me to say that I have faith for the impossible. Actually, when I was asked to preach this sermon, I had to ask myself, can I actually do that with that thing going on in my life? And the only reason why I felt I was still able to do it was that I was able to say honestly that I may not always have faith in the impossible when it comes to that thing that I'm still praying for, but I do still have faith for faith in the impossible. And I think that's enough. Does this make sense? So if you feel like that, it's quite okay. You are still on the road. You are still on the journey. And then thirdly, it is for us to keep being turned towards God. As he invited Sarah to do, he invites us to do the same. The thing is that when we go through periods of discouragement, of anxieties, disappointments, we are so tempted to turn our face away from God. And I would be surprised if there wouldn't be some of us who are actually going through that very temptation tonight. Well, the invitation from God is not to pretend that your life is different from what it really is. The, intent, the invitation from God is to be, keep being turned towards him and put it on the table between you and him. That is the invitation from him. And that is how we stay in the good fight of faith. Now if the band will come up here. And uh, Natalie, you can just start playing immediately. You play so well. So I'll just enjoy listening to it. Uh, and then I'll try to wrap this up. So two questions uh, before we pray together. Number one, where are we as a church community right now in this time? And I think that's, that's an easy question. Uh, because what we are doing as a church community across the four services is that we believe that God is calling us to lean forward. We believe that God is calling us to embrace the impossible. And this going to eight services, six locations, is just a way of expressing it. It's deep desire to actually see the gospel of God impacting so many more people in this city. To see so many more lives being changed by faith in Jesus Christ. Being changed through encounters with his Unconditional love. That is the desire. That is the dream. And we will not settle for anything less. We won't settle for the possible. We will go for the impossible. So as a church community, we feel that it's right for us to lean forward. But then the next question is, where are you? 
You're not playing it. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> what is the time for in, in your life and in my life? What kind of motion of faith is right for you, for me to go through in this very season of life that we have right now? I think that's an important reflection tonight. Should we stand together? And I want to lead us into a prayer. I think for some of us, there's a calling to lean forward tonight, an invitation from God. And some of us recognize ourselves in the picture of me on the hillsides of, of Norway, where we are trying to avoid the valley and we are out of balance and we are trying to avoid leaning forwards. But the calling tonight is very clear to us. It is to lean forward. I believe that there are even some of us tonight who are on our journey towards faith. We are not there yet, but we are open. And we are looking for faith. And we are actually open to have an encounter with, with Jesus Christ to receive his forgiveness. and to become followers of him. And if that is you, you can simply just say it in your heart tonight. You can just say, Jesus Christ, now it's the time for me. I'm surrendering to you without having answers to all of my questions, without knowing everything about you. I'm doing like Abraham. I'm bowing low to the ground, surrendering myself to you, receiving your forgiveness, receiving your grace, Becoming a follower of you, Jesus Christ. For some of us, it's time to do that tonight. Simply to make the decision. For some of us, it's time to lean backwards. There are some of us who have been struggling for a long time and you have been using all your own energy, strength, your own powers, your own solutions. It's time to give up. It's time to let go and let God. It's time to take a step back and to lean back and allow God to be God in your life. Simply to trust him before you have seen anything change in your circumstances. And that trust will create a new thing in your life. It will create room for God to do what only he can do. And then there's, call, there's a calling, an invitation for some of us to actually turn our faces towards God. We have turned our faces away from him in disappointment, in disbelief. But now the calling is there to turn our faces towards him. To embrace him in a new way. To put our doubts, our fears, our anxieties on the table between him and us. Saying things as they are. Not hiding them away. But doing it in the presence of him. So Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this moment. Thank you that this is a unique time. Thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. And thank you that there is a creation power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are the one being able to create something very new in our lives. And thank you that you intend to do so for some of us tonight. Thank you that this is a moment of, of grace. And I thank you that for some of us, you will give us the grace to, to really take hold, to seize this moment. 
I thank you. And I just want to encourage you tonight as we start singing now and maybe even as, as there is a call to receive prayer tonight, whatever way f- fits you, whatever way seems right for you, don't lose this opportunity, opportunity. If you sense that this is God speaking to you, don't lose this moment, but act quickly. Respond to him. Receive him as he's speaking to you, as he pour out, pour out his love on you. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's praise him, let's worship him. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org.